You can't talk about art history without seeing the impact Catholicism has had on art and the impact that art has had on Catholicism. It's time for our monthly art history lesson with Charles and Amanda Shepard from the Fort Wayne Museum of Art. This is Kyle Hyman. I have stopped by the Fort Wayne Museum of Art for my monthly art history lesson from Charles and Amanda Shepard. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for being here. Always good to see you. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about Giuseppe de Ribera. And de Ribera, he's working around early 1600s. He's Spanish. In fact, he's the first big name Spanish painter of this time, competing with the likes of Caravaggio and Caracci and, you know, artists that have gotten a lot more fame and glory than he. Mm -hmm. But he moves from Spain and after settling in a couple of different places, moves to Naples. And Naples, strange twist here because Naples was a huge, supposedly a huge art town with no big name artists. So he becomes the first big name artist to come to Naples and invent the Neapolitan style, which took the tendencies of the day, dramatic lighting and swirl and color, and bends them to his own purposes such that he wants to use them to focus on reality and on iconography and symbolism. Mm -hmm. So he's the only one doing that. And his most famous painting uh, done in Naples in 1626 is St. Jerome. Now, St. Jerome was painted by many different artists, but de Ribera, going through the story, sees St. Jerome much differently. Hmm. Instead of as a healthy, well-fed, rosy-cheeked, you know, sometimes even happy and chubby looking in a study, because uh-huh. uh, St. Jerome, obviously known for his scholarship in working on the biblical texts, he sees him in a different light. He sees him in his suffering out in the desert in emaciated form and fills this painting full of great imagery. Hmm. The painting is a large one. And for anyone who might be in Seattle or Texas in the coming months, the painting is actually on loan from Naples to the United States. It's at the Seattle Art Museum now. And in March, it'll go to the Kimball Art Museum in Fort Worth, Texas, as part of an upcoming exhibition they have. So if you have the chance to be in either parts of the country, um, do so. The painting shows the common iconography of Jerome. And for anyone who may not know what that term means. Iconography is the traditional, a set of symbols often associated with a religious or ancient figure that's repeated often throughout art history. So okay. for for Jerome, he has- kind of like a trope. Yeah. like <laughs> It's like a, or, or when we see statues of saints and they always have um, like St. John with the snake over the cup, we'll often see that with St. John so that when huh. you look at a picture- of St. John, you know, oh, that's because right. that story is associated or how a saint was killed. Um, you'll see sure. perhaps the instrument of their death. So that's what iconography is. So mm-hmm. for St. Jerome, we will see often a skull, which symbolizes his asceticism and his closeness to living on the edge, I suppose, hmm. um, being out in the desert with very little means, him and his work and his creator. His There's a scroll here, symbolizes his writing, his translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then he also is often shown 
half clothed. And in this case, and in a lot of cases, he has a red drape around the lower part of his body, which though there weren't cardinals in the church at the time, it symbolizes his senior position in the church. Okay. He's emaciated. He's surrounded by a craggy, cloud-like, dramatic environment. Uh And then in the top left of the painting, you see this breakthrough of heavenly light, and it very dramatically highlights his emaciated figure, Mm -hmm. which would have been Caravaggio-esque, the theatrical lighting, um, the real stark shadows. And then right behind him, we see a very faint shadowy lion's head, which is a reference to the legend that he tamed a lion by removing a thorn from the lion's paw. Huh. So, <laughs> which is actually very hard to see. It's very hard to see, and some of the reproductions, and the um, because images. of the painting's age, it's yeah. also faded. Yeah. And then we also have an angel with a horn in the upper part of the painting, and he's looking up to the angel, and his arms are outstretched toward the angel playing the instrument. Playing the horn, not a. Not like a unicorn angel. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Angel with a horn could be taken two different ways. Oh, no, like. sorry. <laughs> and St. Jerome, and this is an aspect that Rivera wanted to stress, St. Jerome had a, a great deal of lingering guilt from having lived a non-aesthetic life mm-hmm. for many years, you know, been not chaste and indulging himself, and but he was ill often. Mm-hmm. And in, in the course of one of his illnesses, he had a vision that he was living the wrong way entirely and that he needed, you know, to get with God. Uh-huh. And so he's going to inflict a certain amount of punishment on himself to remind himself of his, the shame of his guilt for having lived a good part of his life the wrong way. So to be out alone in the desert working on his text, I mean, he, it's noted for after Augustine being the next most prolific writer and translator. So he's going to concentrate in this terrible environment, barely clothed, not protected from the environments, a lion lurking on the side, yeah. and he's going to go at the text, but here comes the angel, and it reminds me of that vision that he had. And I, you talked about this back in May whenever we did one on penitence in art, mm-hmm. and there was a painting right. of St. Peter, but then also a, a painting that's actually kind of similar to this. It's similar. Similar, in similarities, the, but also differences. Sure. In that painting, um, Jerome is actually beating himself with a right. rock. In this case, the rock that we have is the skull is sitting on top of a stone, and you see the point of the stone. In this case, his arms are outstretched toward the angel, which... Mm-hmm. I think also signifies that he's holding nothing back and, you know, he's barely clothed. He has no creature comforts. There's a lion (laughs) behind him and he's, he's still, he's not trying to protect himself from anything. And, and the angel symbolizes his great reward in that sense. Now, Robert, I think is free to do this kind of work and present, Jerome differently than other people because he wasn't the in the top 10 of painters at the time. And he became, through this painting and through being in Naples, one of that group. Mm-hmm. But he was freed really, you know, because he wasn't a star. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if I'm not a star, I can do what I want to do. And I want to present Jerome differently than everybody else is doing. So he's, he's cutting his own path, but he's being true to his own sense of this is how I interpret the story differently from other artists. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting. We should also remember the 
tools that artists of his time would have used to create a painting like this. One of those tools would have had to have been the models for the figures in his painting. And so we as viewers see this painting of St. Jerome and we, we rever him and wow, this amazing man, if only I could, you know, do some of the things that he did. But then we also need to be reminded that the model for St. Jerome was just a guy from Ribera's town and usually from the lower classes. So we have this really interesting reminder that the people in these paintings, though posing as great saints, were also average people, Mm -hmm. which in a cool way elevates them as well and immortalizes the average person who then becomes St. Jerome because the painting is titled as such. Mm-hmm. So, so somewhere you're saying there was a conversation back in 1626 where the model goes home and his wife says, what did you do today? St. <laughs> Jerome. I'm yeah. St. Jerome this week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get over yourself, do the dishes. Uh, right. <laughs> so where was this hanging? What was it painted for? Do we know any of the, the background of who commissioned it or I, I don't know who commissioned it. It's, it's you said never it was left, large. Yes. Large. It's never left Naples before, which is very oh, wow. interesting. And I'm imagining that to get it to come to the States with other works by Ribeiro to, you know, do a solo show. It, the minor miracle that painting's ever let go Yeah, <laughs> with its age. I mean, 1626 yeah and never taken off the wall right like, my goodness and now people go there to see it yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what do they put there do they put a print in its yeah. place they like, put up a little sign that says this painting used to be here and it's yeah. now at the Kimball so, <laughs> that's sorry. really what they do sorry about your luck so you mentioned at the beginning the Spain and Italy and these different art markets is there like this national rivalry going on at the time of art yes okay yes and and it takes a couple of different forms. To be a country with a lot of great painters would be the goal. And so you're going to find a lot of state support, government support for art training programs, art schools, um, apprenticeships, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, to strengthen you know, France over Italy or, or what have you. And you know, Naples, apparently, probably the number two size in wealth and population mm-hmm. uh, city at the time, but for whatever reason, can't seem to get traction on bringing any artists there to stay. All the artists that came there would stay maybe a summer and then not come back. And they were getting better offers in other places. And those other places were trying to promote themselves as being better than anywhere else. And maybe Naples was also complacent because it was already a fancy big city without the artists uh-huh. so so yeah everybody is sort of a rival and the artists would take advantage of this of course no matter where they were born to go to whoever was trying to beat another city or another country uh, by commissioning bigger and better works for more money uh-huh. uh, and I think Ribera recognized it would be smart for him to leave Spain and you know try to compete and I think Ribera picked Naples, though, because there wasn't any competition there. Yeah. So I can go there, and I'm the best painter Naples has ever had. Yeah. And it turns out he is. It's interesting how there's more than just how good of a painter you are, but yeah. it could be like the location, True. opportunities. Politics. Yeah. Patronage. Yeah. Who you know. 
that's true today. Right. right. And what you paint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the time, religious art was was the thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, well, exactly. And we've joked before that if you ever back in 1626 told one of these artists like Ribera, you know, there's going to be in the year 2000, there's hardly going to be any spiritual painting at all. Uh-huh. He wouldn't believe you. He's like, how could it ever be? That's the, that's the only subject matter. Right. You know, you think, well, someday it's not going to be. Right. And how unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing you're alive now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. This, All right. Well, as always, I'll have a link to this image in the show notes so people can check it out. And again, this is Ribera's. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular name for it? Yeah, it's, it's just called St. Jerome. St. Jerome. Mm-hmm. Saint Jerome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. What's going on at the museum these days? Oh, in January and February, we have a wonderful contemporary show by an artist named Ellie Tullis called Theotokos, Contemporary Visions of Mary. And what she did is she painted about 30 portraits of Mary in her own style, but referencing history's master painters. And that is up through March 8th. And we talked about that last month. If you didn't get a chance to hear her Mm -hmm. talking about it, it's it's fascinating to hear the story. And I saw the pictures online and was impressed. It's totally different seeing them in person. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. She's a wonderful painter. And on February 6th at 12.15 p.m., Ellie and I will be giving a guided tour of the exhibition. Oh, nice. Yep. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank Uh, you. FWMOA.org. That's right. And FWMOA on social media. Stop by the museum here in Fort Wayne. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.